Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Did you know you can advertise on podcasts? Don't act like you're not impressed. Find out more at podvertise.com.au. That's podvertise with an s.com.au. Did you know you can advertise on podcasts? Don't act like you're not impressed. Find out more at podvertise.com.au. That's podvertise with an s.com.au. Hey guys, it's Jane McLaren. Um, I'm here on the Unlaced podcast with my man, Jakey Barkadash. Jamie McLaren, he's here finally on the uh, Unlaced podcast. Welcome, mate. How are you, Jakey? You all good, man? Yeah, doing well, bro. Doing well, considering we're in uh, uh, the hundredth week of uh, lockdown. But how how are you coping with it all? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I think my missus has done it a bit tougher than I have. Um, I, I spent a little bit of, of time in the isolation with with Victorian restrictions, but then we went into a hub. Um, over in Sydney and we, we had a bit more freedom than we did uh, right now and I've been home obviously a month now and it's still nothing's really changed so it's uh, it's difficult for the for the people in Melbourne that's for sure yeah yeah where, where were you based you were just telling me um, I guess before we jumped on where you were based but from you were in Newcastle when you first went into the hub and then um, after that yeah. where'd you go we, we uh, were in the Hunter Valley um, and then obviously we moved down to um, Sydney when it came to sort of final series but um, the original sort of three or four games we were based up in. Uh, we were travelling on the day of the game, two hours, and uh, travelling back up after the game. And we had some great results. So it was obviously a nice bus ride back up to the Hunter from Sydney. So um, quite enjoyable and a really nice hotel, to be fair. Yeah, oh, that's good. It would have probably brought you guys together, I can imagine, even more, living, living on yeah. top of each other. Oh. You know what it's like, mate, when, you, when you're around the boys for so long, whether it's, you know, the national camps and that we used to have for young Socceroos, when you're all together, um, it's good. And we were, we were together for, like we said, eight to nine weeks and um, got some great results. And, um, you know, some boys have obviously moved on now, but you do you do learn a lot about people, um, obviously, you know, with outside of football. And um, it's nice to sit down and talk to a few new heads that you don't really know much about. So um, it was enjoyable, yeah. Oh, good, man. Good. Now, a lot of people may not know, but me and Jamie... McLaren, we go way back. Um, I, can't Far even, back bro. I can't even remember the first time we met, but my I was thinking about it the other day and I thought, when did we first meet and when did we first play together? And I reckon it was the under 12 Victorian primary schools team. Correct, man. That was uh, Daryl Spiteri was the coach. Um, That's right. Few, a few recognisable faces in that squad, Jackson Irvine, for obvious reasons, and big, big head Curtis. Curtis yeah. Good. Head shape um, still has not changed in 2012. <laughs> yeah, he's still got the same facial hair as well. Yeah, that was some team, by the way. And, and obviously, in that um, New South Wales team was Musti, Terry, um, and, and Tom Rogic was for, for the That's ACT right. team. So. And Josh Bellante for Queensland Country. So a few few recognisable names. Yeah, and I remember when we went to that tournament, it was in Canberra, they literally put three soccer pitches on a footy oval. On you remember that? 
I do remember that. And I also remember I was wearing black tempos and playing it right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember all, all, that, all that I felt I was good for in that tournament was taking corners. Um, <laughs> that's how, that's how, yeah, that's, that's where we were at. From memory, you know, from memory, I'm always good with boots. I think you had the Navy Vapors, was it? You did. I did, sorry. The, the Vapors, they were the Mercurial Vapors, like the early ones that Ronaldinho was kind of yeah, yeah. wearing when he was at PSG and Ronaldo made famous. So you got a good memory. Already, man. No, they were good times, mate. How can you not? You know, we actually we won that tournament. So how can you not forget? We did, yeah. No, mate. There, there's some. When I look back, they're the memories that make me realise why I played football. I guess as a kid, that why we still love it now because we had such yeah. happy moments back then. Um, but it was uh, just even thinking back to that. It was it was cutthroat, eh? You know, when the, you go for the trials and the guy's standing there with a the guy's standing there with a clipboard and fucking just reading out your names, who's cut and who's not. Like that was ruthless at 12 years of age, huh? <laughs> It was like picking, yeah, picking the, the team at lunchtime. Who's the last man picked? And then all of a sudden there's 20 kids walking home with their mums and dads crying and there's 20, 20 kids high-fiving each other thinking, oh, you know, to, and, and there was probably like 15 different trials we all went through. It was like 5,000 oh, kids. It was, it was enormous. And, you know, for me, driving from Sunbury down to Ferntree Gully, like, mate, that's a, that's a trek and a half, you know? Like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't easy for the parents, that's for sure. Like, that was, that was the hardest for them, just doing all that travel. And, I think actually we took days off school, yeah, because that was during to. school time. Yeah, we yeah. some some of the trials were like tournaments. You'd represent That's a team right, yeah. and play for like half a day. It probably would have been harder for you and your family because not only were they taking days off to take you, but they were taking Wee Man, yeah. your brother Donnie, yeah, Donnie to the trials as well. And then one of you would would make it, one of you wouldn't, and then they've got the oh. ah. <laughs> and that and that was uh, and that was funny because. Sometimes dad would say to us, you have to wear either all white or you wear all black because you stand out, you know, Real Madrid, all white, all black. And Donnie would wear all white and I would wear all black and then someone would get picked or not. And um, oh, they're good days, man. They're really good days when I think about it. Oh, they were, they were awesome. Stress-free stress, stress free days. I'll stress, give you that. This actually was one of, my, one of my things I wanted to talk about. Talk about stress-free, how it's probably changed a little bit for you. And even though you're at the top of your game and enjoying your football more than ever, I think I reached out to yours a couple of weeks ago, probably was a, yeah. maybe two weeks from the grand final. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I'd love to get you on the podcast. You know, we, we go way back. I'd, I'd love to hear how you're doing and, and have a chat. And you're like, mate, I'll be on in a heartbeat, but not right now. Cause I'm getting bombarded <laughs> with media. So yeah. I just wanted to understand what that's like for you in, when you're going into, I guess, a serious part of the season, you're getting bombarded with media. How are you in, in the hub in isolation? Mm. Do you have sort of any ways that you, you deal with that? It's, it's hard to keep a lid on it, to be fair. And um, sometimes the expectations of other people, you know, they're putting pressure on, you know, Melbourne City to win it. Is it their time? Are they, you know, people were saying that we've got a soft underbelly where we're the, you know, weakest mentality side when it comes to the big games, we don't show up. And that's not me. So, you know, I, that, I take um, it a bit personally when someone says that, you know, at big games, we don't, we don't produce. And, and I was, to be fair, you know, not against the media, but I was a bit pissed off and, and to say, well, you know what, we'll prove you wrong on the pitch. And um, I thought we had a fantastic season. Uh, we turned it around from, you know, December onwards and um, it, was, uh, it was difficult to keep the media off our back, but results get you, get you good headlines. And um, we did that. We got to a final and, and obviously um, the journos couldn't wait to, to ride it the day after that we had a soft underbelly. But look, I thought we were the better team in the final and Sydney just know how to win games, don't they? So, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's that's media in, in a nutshell, mate. When you're hot, you're hot, and, and when you're not, you're uh, you're definitely not. Did you feel you guys were written off earlier in the season? And I guess to where you guys got to the final and, and lost on a you know dodgy Ryan Buster Grant chest. Yeah, 
Oh, mate, it's, it, it, you know, at the start of the season, I thought we, we you know, put together a very good team and, um, you know, Eric coming in was fantastic. Like, I loved working for him and, you know, I will miss him. Um, but uh, looking at the, the FFA Cup final was, was a huge catalyst for us. We, we got pumped, pure and simply. We went there thinking, because we, we just played Adelaide three days before and, and beat them at Amy Park quite comfortably. And uh, we rocked up to, to Cooper Stadium, what it's called now, and, and thought it was going to happen. And, and we, got, we, got, we got a shock. And uh, they punished us and, and took every single chance that they had. They only had four and they took them all. And um, yeah, mate, it was a pure, pure cup final. And, and that was the, the, the defining point for us where we need to say that we lost on a big moment and we need to, we need to change it. A mentality, something needs to change. And um, we did that gradually. Oh, that's awesome. I think... Seeing, seeing where you got to in the season you had, no doubt you're a pivotal part of it, but it does take a strong coach and team mentality to flick the switch uh, and oh. not let moments like that defeat you, but actually turn it around and, and get yeah. progress in your season. It's not easy. It's not. And, uh, you know, when you've got a coach who's coached at the highest level and, and worked with some of the best players around the world, it's you immediately respect him. And, and when he's disappointed, he was actually... Um, one of the most respectful managers I've ever played for. Like he's not like a Neil Lennon that comes in at halftime and throws boots at you. Um, he he was he was calm. He just said, "Boys, you know you've got 45 minutes to go, and you know we need to get back to the way we play and get back to basics, keeping the ball." And um, and that was refreshing to have someone like that in the A League. And um, short lived, obviously a year in charge, and he, he done fantastic thing. Congratulations to him because he won Coach of the Year, and, and I wasn't I wasn't surprised. He yeah. deserved it. Um, and and for what he's done, it's set up. PK for a, you know to carry on that legacy because it's going to be it's going to be tough for PK but also at the same time it might be quite easy because you know PK worked really close with Eric and um, the game plan is is what it is and I don't think PK will change all too much. Yeah, so for for those that don't know PK, I'm assuming it's Patrick Kisnorbo who was the yeah, assistant um, and now he's taken over, which I guess is is that going to be a big change? Do you think? I mean, obviously a different coach and different style, but he was there throughout the whole year. Yeah. Um, look, he was. He did a lot of work. I th- I'll put put it that way. You know, Eric's English wasn't all but great. Um, you, you could get the simple message across, but in full detail, it was obviously PK addressing the boys. And um, he's going to step up now and, and and take the reins. And I think he's he's the right man for the job. He'll he'll step in. He's Melbourne City and Melbourne Heart, whatever you want to call it, through and through. And yeah. uh, he's a Melbourne boy, so he brings a bit of pride. And, and you see across the league now, you got Brebs who's coaching victory. Um, you've got uh, Richie Garcia now stepping in at, at Perth Glory and obviously yeah. Carl Veer Carl to Adelaide. So there's obviously new guys coming into the role and, and what better way than to see Aussie coaches getting a, getting a role. So yeah, um, awesome. it's nice to see, to be fair. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it's funny, right? Because you, you have the high of being in the grand final and then losing it and it's a, it's a sour moment. But as soon as the coach goes and new coach gets appointed, your, your mindset's now on, on next season and how you get better. Um, yeah. And I wanted to lead into that because... This is a bit of a unique off-season for you because you can't actually get away and let off the steam you probably normally would to kind of re- prepare. So do you feel you're having a break, a mental break at the moment from the game? Um, look, Jake, if I'm honest, man, I would say no. Um, and purely because, you know, you're living day to day and you're kind of waiting for, for some good news around the corner from, from Melbourne. And, you know, look, it's, it's around the world. It's not just Australia. So I'm not going to sit here and be selfish and say, oh, you know, we're unlucky because... There's a lot of people doing it tough and, and you know, jobs are being lost and, and it's, it's absolutely carnage and, and you, you feel for those people. And um, it's, it's one of those ones where I'm not going to sit and complain, but it's, it's not a proper um, switch off where you can go sit by a beach and relax the body and switch, switch the mind off. So it's been difficult, but um, it'll hold us in good stead to, to make sure we go hard, finish this season, uh, sorry, next season off and 
and uh, hopefully by June, July of next season, um, boys are able to travel interstate or, or overseas to, to get that freshen up. Yeah, agreed. I, I hope we do. I think we're on the, the right path in Victoria finally in Australia more broadly seems to be doing well. So hopefully in that, the time frame when the league's going to start, we're going to be in a good position to, to have you know, people in stadiums and, and playing it, you know, the way we used to. Um, so I, I guess one of the things for me, and I, as I said earlier in the show, I've known Jamie since I was 12 years old. And to see where you're at now scoring goals repetitively, you know, for Melbourne City winning the A-League Golden Boot winner for the second time, making the Socceroos World Cup squad, playing for the Socceroos and being there sort of number nine now, which is you know, every kid's dream. Um, being with you, I can't say I'm surprised, but I do want to go back to, I guess, where we started because I've always yeah. said, if I, if I need a goal, and your, your old man will like this, but if I need a goal, I'm going to call three people. It's going to be Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel <laughs> Messi, and, and Jamie McLaren. Don't put, don't put me in. You that, always that would pop up with a goal. It was ridiculous. Um, uh, you, and you, the thing that used to frustrate me about you, and I used to love it, obviously, on your team, but when I wasn't on your team, you could be having a stinking game and something would come <laughs> off your shin and you'd, you'd win one nil and you'd get the plaudit. So I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding and I'd me. And I'd be sliding on my knees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rubbing it in with your blonde tips and... Um, oh fuck those are the days honestly mate it's yeah it's it's when I think about it I've just had a knack um, it, my game's been built off instinct um, you know I, I had to work for it Jakey it's, it's as simple as that you know I didn't uh, you know I was given the, the basics of the game with my old man and you know it, it runs in the blood football but um, you know I worked hard man I worked hard at it you know and that's a simple message but it's it's the truth yeah, because I, I want to go through a couple of what I felt were defining moments from you from afar and see if they, you felt the same way. Because yeah. um, for, for some of the listeners, Jamie's dad, Donnie McLaren, was a professional footballer abroad and also when he came to Australia, played in the old NSL. So it's safe to say Donnie knew his football inside out and had uh, yeah. two twins in Jamie and Donnie and they were always going to be footballers um, and have a, have a football brain. Uh, but you played in a, in a I guess, a a team here in Green Gully, which yep. was practically undefeated for about four or five years. Um, a half of the state team, the Victorian state team, <laughs> played for Green Gully yeah, at one yeah. point, which was um, a tough team to play. But um, more, more, I guess, closely to what I wanted to speak about was you, you made the under-12 state team, which was you know a tough thing in itself. And then the under-13 state team came around the next year. And I guess most of the boys who'd made the under-12 state team, there was like a little bit of cockiness of oh yeah we'll make this team we didn't really understand it but uh, I remember you got cut probably in like the last 30 players and Donnie Mm. got through and I remember you coming to actually the next training and watching from a side and thinking fuck that must be hard um can you explain what that was like as a kid when you know not making rep teams and and how that feels Mm. because that was a bit of a defining moment for you I felt it was made, and um, it was a it was a cold night in fucking Noble Park. It was. Um, if I rem- I'm trying to remember these names, Harry Jumas was a coach, and uh, you know he didn't select me. And it's kind of one of those things back then. I was a kid that thought, mate, just check your fault, check your check your lists. My fucking name has to be there, surely. <laughs> yeah, right. And, he, and obviously, you know, you don't get picked, and, and the reality hits you. And I'm driving back to Sunbury from from Noble Park, which is an hour and a half. And you're thinking, fuck, how did I not get in that team? But my old man would say to me, listen, you fucking haven't got picked. 
move on. You, you, mm. There's a reason why you haven't been, you need to now go back to the drawing board and obviously in simpler terms, but he was saying you need to change, you need to do something that there's, there needs to be some sort of inner hunger. You need, sometimes you got to go through some failures to get success. And, and that was, that was a defining cut when that year um, hit me hard because Jakey, I, I had everything given to me. You know, I was at Sunbury, I was scoring six or seven goals a game, went to Gully, you know, scoring th- a hat trick a game. And, I felt like, you know, I was untouchable at that age. You know, mm. Everyone was talking about me, uh, you know, because I was, I was quite big at my age. I was bigger than most kids. I had, yeah, had you were like me. That. We grew quicker. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's right. And I kind of thought, you know, it's, it's never going to catch up to me. And that was a fucking, that was a smack and that was a knockout, you know, mm. and, and going home and, you know, the next day going to school all mopey. And, um, but it showed that I wanted it. And it, it actually, um, it hit home that, you know, I need to, I need to improve and, and, I wasn't going to let one guy's opinion define me because I've never been one person, even till this day, you're going to get coaches that don't, don't rate you. Um, but I wasn't going to allow um, that failure because I knew that once you get cut, there's, there's the following year and there's a the year after. So there's still two more state teams to make. So mm. those were my initial short-term goals. Yeah, that's, it was a bit of a wake-up call for me because it was the first player that I saw in and around that state team that should have been there. They got cut and I'm like, okay, no one's untouchable here. It was actually the worst decision for my um, carnival that I went to because I ended up having to play up front and didn't bang in a goal. I wasn't a striker. <laughs> we had no one. Um, but the, one of the things that, uh, and I, I reckon Curtis Good would agree with me on this, because you didn't make that team. We went away. Mm. We came back to the next year's state team. And I was from the southeast. You were from the northwest at the time. So we we're playing in different yeah. leagues. So I'd always see it at the state trials. But you came <clears> back <throat> fast as fuck. Like yeah. <laughs> light, lightning quick, like a different player. And I want you to explain to me some of the work you were doing with your old man. Cause um, I know there was some tire sleds involved, but you just, yeah. in 12 months, your athleticism just went through the roof. Yeah. Well, I'll actually, it's going to be a, probably a long answer, mate. And uh, it comes back down to, so we had a big backyard, lived on 2.5 acres out in the countryside. And um you know, we had this this flat area that was that had long grass, and me and Donnie couldn't play soccer down there. And, and for for many years, up to about you know eleven, twelve, we'd never really used it. And one day, you know, Dad was thinking after we broke a few fucking windows and smashing Mum's Pajero, you know, using the using the using the garage as, as a goal, right? And uh, he had enough, and he goes, "Fuck this! I'm taking the the lawnmower. I'm taking you down the back. I'm going to cut all this grass, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a field where you guys can just work on on your on your football." So. One of these days, mum and Steph were, were going shopping and uh, he's, he's, it's a 40 degree day. I don't know why we chose this day. And dad's driving the lawnmower and he, hit, he hits a rock and a, a spark comes through, right? So we're shouting at dad going, mate, there's fucking, there's flames coming out of this lawnmower. Jesus. Anyways, long, long story short, the, the lawnmower ended up blowing up. Dad jumped off and um, it, it felt like a movie, mate. You know, when the, the things go up fucking 10 meters in the air and <laughs> 2.5 acres of house, literally of, uh, of, of our backyard, all burnt, right? Fire trucks, the lot. Um, <laughs> You're kidding. So a week later, a week later, the grass is starting to, to grow back again. And, um, you know, dad comes comes to me and Donnie and he's like, boys, uh, go have a look down the back. And we're like, oh, okay, no worries. We go down there and Jakey, there's this, you've seen it. There's this brand spanking white fucking beautiful goal with a box box net, by the way. We Back then with the old Pro Evolution days, we wanted the box net down the back. <laughs> So he he got he it he invested a lot of money in that and and not just that we went down there and, and had a look and he said boys this is this is a full size goal he's he's a growing up um, but 
he pointed over to the to the trampoline and to because we used to work on free kicks we used to use the trampoline as a wall and he pointed over to these two things and it, the other thing was a sled right with a bit of, with a bit of rope around it he said boys the, the, the goal's important but i want you to understand that to get to the next level you need to work on basics and and basics come from you know doing it repetition and, and the, the the sled was just a tire a simple fucking tire i don't even know if it's come from from one of the cars but it was literally had a rope around it and he would just say, you know what, three times a week, he'd put a schedule for us. He'd say three times a week, I want you to do six runs. And literally all summer, Jakey, we were down there for hours, mate. And I was, as I was getting week by week, mate, I was adding bricks into this, into this tire because I felt, I felt like I was, I was getting quicker, but I was like, you know what, I want more, I want more. And, and like you said, the following six months, within six months, I went from, from being a, a little boy, it's almost like a, a, a 15 year old in, in a 13 year old, you know, body. Yeah. And it was purely, you could, you could say a bit of puberty and all that, but I had to grow up. And I don't know if my mind played a big part in that because I, I really wanted to make these state squads the following year. And, and you know, you from the outside, it's, it's nice to hear that you, you said that I came back like a beast, but I, but I felt like that, mate. And I, and I really um, took the bull by the horns and, and fucking just kicked on. I don't think people that I got two two response to that, but the first one is I don't think people, and, and I hope people can understand, but when we were 12 to 15 playing junior soccer in Victoria, it was the holy grail to make the Victorian state team. Like yeah. literally it, that was do or die. Like you would go to bed thinking I need to make that. And when you made it, it was like, you were so buzzing to go to the national tournament because it was like the biggest thing. It was like playing at the world cup, playing in the champions league yeah. back then. That's what you dream. Yeah. It was what, what we dreamed of at that age. Yeah. And, and so it's, I think it's inspiring to hear how you thought about it so young because of, how many plays did we see that probably could have made it that didn't? And then the next year they just went missing because they, yeah. they were gutted. Um, and the other aspect is, I think it explains now why you banging goals for fun, because I, I have been to the Sunbury residence and it is so funny when you do go down uh, the back of the hill, there's like a mini football area and there's the box nets, but I would say maybe a bit bigger, but roughly the circumference of that area was around an 18 yard box which is why, yeah. why you're so clinical <laughs> in the box because there was nothing else to do there. You'd just be, you'd be turning and shooting. <laughs> Mate, it, it, it's so true. And, and, that's, and that's another thing is we, we worked on all different ranges of finishing, Jakey. And I remember Donnie was crossing balls and it, it actually helped that I had a brother who had more ability than I did where he could just pick a pass wherever he wanted to. So we would work down the back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then come the Saturday with Green Gully fuck mate, Donnie wouldn't even be looking where I am. He just knows where I am. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And we kind of had that bond where, and that's what kind of, you know, why Donnie didn't, didn't kick on is because he had a lot of injuries, but yeah. had he had kicked on, mate, he, he'd be, he'd be winning Johnny Warren medal. Uh, you know, he, he had that, he had that about, him. he had that Ninkovic about him. He had that, that Castro where he could just, you know, if you, if you were in trouble, give him the ball because he'll fucking get you out. And, yeah. and that was something that Donnie, Donnie made me better. I, I didn't make him better. He made me better. I think it's funny, right? Because I think we're old enough now to say you're probably too competitive at the time. But your old man used to say that Donnie was the more talented one as a kid. He still question. does, Jakey. Yeah. Till this day, mate, he still fucking does. And yeah. I agree with him. I, I, I fully, I put my hand up and I agree with him. He was, he was quality. And the only thing for, for Wee Man, which it was, yeah, was his, his you know, his injuries. Um, yeah. The poor kid. But no, what a, what a guy. I'm, I hope he's doing well. Shout out to, to Donnie. Um, the, the other aspect, so we, as we go through these state teams, the under 14 and under 15 state teams, this is where, I guess, shit started getting a bit more serious because on the other side of those state teams were 
back then were the Victorian Institute of Sport and the Australian Institute yep. of Sport. Um, and I think safe to say under 14s and under 15s, you're our top goal scorer and probably one of our top players in each tournaments. Um, and goalkeeper, by the way, goalkeeper. Remember goalkeeper, remember yeah, that's goalkeeper? right. Did you save? Did you save penalty? I saved. Uh, saved Terry Antonis and Corey Gamero's penalty. <laughs> that's right. That's right, Alistair, <laughs> Alistair Bray. We won't say how he got himself out of the tournament from. Oh, mate, I've got yeah. I've got an answer for you down yeah. the podcast. Jesus, yeah, keep going. Jesus Christ. Anyway, but <laughs> um, no, this was this was the other the second defining moment I thought for you, and it's not to paint a picture of some of the the challenging periods, but I think it's um pretty much what I'm trying to hide here is that where you are right now, it wasn't gifted to you, even though you were talented, like you went through some shit. Um, mm. and, and one of the biggest ones was not making the AIS, uh, from a mm. tournament where you probably played better than most and deserved to get picked. I think only about 10 or 11 players from the tournament that was held in Coffs Harbor at the time made the AIS squad. Um, yeah. can you explain what that was like for you when you saw myself, Curtis and Urson go, who potentially we didn't have as good of tournaments to you? But we got selected and, and you didn't. You know what, man? It was That was hard too. So that was my second probably knockout. Um, it was, I, I remember Paul Foster, I think his name was, and he, he sat down with us at Darabin and, and I remember him speaking to all of us and, and saying, boys, you know, when you go to Coffs Harbour, um, there's going to be scouts there. And, and obviously the next step from the Vic team is, is AIS and you boys are young, young men. And um, this is just a brief outline. And he showed us a presentation and, I remember thinking back, going, fuck, this would be awesome. AIS, I you know, would love it. I've heard, I've seen Socceroos kick on and, and that, was the, that was the pathway. That was what you wanted to do. And um, yeah, so for me, that, I went to Coffs Harbour and uh, scored three goals in three games and, and then got injured. So That's I was on right. crutches for the last two games and, and didn't play. And, and that, that didn't help, but I, I still felt as if <clears throat> what I'd done, I, I still was top scorer for Victoria um, and, and came off and, and I didn't, think I, I warranted selection but you know I was apparently I was nowhere near it apparently I was the conversation I had with John Campellage he said mate I don't even know if you were on their radar and that was another thing that that kind of stood, stood out to me is you know I was buzzing for you guys because it was like fuck, there's a lot it's a life-changing moment as a young boy leaving but I was like fuck, I believe I should be with him but it is what it is and, and then I had a, a phone call from from Ian Greener and, and he said look Jamie um, you know I've obviously heard out the news that you're not going to the AIS and we are the VIS. Um, would you be interested? And, and that was the next best thing, if you want to call it. And mm. the sort of closest thing to full-time football. And um, I thought about it and, you know, my dad was like, you know what, you, you do need to get out of Green Gully because scoring a hat-trick every game and, and you know, we won the league. We were, un we were undefeated that season and under 15s. And it was a case of, you needed to step up and I needed to play with the elite of the Southeast boys and, and boys from Mornington and Nick Ansel, guys like that. And Luke O'Day and just mm -hmm. to name a few boys that uh, maybe the, these podcast listeners might hear uh, Christopher Cristaldo played for, for Melbourne heart and victory actually. So yeah. boys that have been around the traps. And um, so, yeah, so I wanted to, to make that step up and, and go to the VIS and, and, and prove that the AIS fucking should regret not picking me. I think it's safe to say that they do, and you did that. Because even, <laughs> even for me, I was a little bit shocked at my selection of the AS. I never felt like on ability in the year I had leading up to it that I didn't deserve to be there. I definitely felt I deserved to. But based off the tournament, I couldn't hang my hat on and say I was in the top 10 players at the tournament. I didn't think as a team, Victoria, we really underperformed when you got we did, injured. Because yeah. um, we didn't have a goal nah, score. I, 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 I wouldn't blame, I wouldn't say it just, just on me, but I think we had such a good team 
that we we were almost that we thought complacent. we were going to win it. We, we, we thought we were, we were yeah, you're right. We were complacent. We were complacent, and because the previous year we we'd done so well, and and majority of the boys stayed the same, and and John was was the coach for the second year also, and um, you kind of think it's just it's just going to happen, and and when you're at that level, that one chance and you and you you're out, and and that's yeah. what happens in in those levels where one chance in, in front of goal and someone takes it and, and you lose the game and um, yeah, you get sent home packing from, from Coffs Harbour and that was us. Yeah. From, from Tasmania. But we're not like that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but this was, yeah, back then. So for, to give context to the listeners, the AIS was, you know, talk about the state team being the Holy Grail, but when you got about 15, 16, the only way to be in, I guess the, the elite development path of football in this country was to be a part of the AIS. So if you were really serious about your football and you weren't in the AAS, it was unlikely at that time that you were either going to be unique and create your own path in the country or you'd probably go overseas. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of is, for you, was the next phase, wasn't it? To move overseas yeah. and um, start playing some football over there. Can you give us some insight into that decision and where you ended up? Well, well straight after that, um, Coffs Harbour obviously went back and, and had to just understand what was going on and and, realize, and process it because it took all summer to process it because Coffs Harbour was obviously September time and, um, you know, it, it was spent all summer obviously down the back and still working on things because I thought, you know, fuck, what, 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 what didn't they see? And um, then I made a decision obviously in, in January to, to join VIS, but I did sit down with my dad and, and we kind of said, he, he kind of asked me, what do you want out of the game? And I remember sitting there going, you know what, now that I've been fucking, you know, not been selected by the AIS, you know, I don't want my dream to be over. So there was murmurs about Victory Youth starting starting to have their Victory Youth team because at the time they weren't really, didn't have the funding for it. Yeah. So it was uh, it was either try and, and, you know, wait nine months for that Victory Youth period to come in or do you want to go on trial? Do you want to have one year at VIS and August, straight after your last game for VIS, you know, in the under 21 MP, VPL, it was called, and um, and then and head on trial. And I wanted to go to, to Celtic and Aston Villa, being a, a mad Villa fan. They, they, those two were lined up and, and potentially Derby County. But um, after the season I had with, with the VIS, it was uh, I won the, the Scott McDonald Award, which is funny. Me and Scotty Mac joke about it now, but um, <laughs> that was that was the uh, top scorer in the VPL under 21 league. And so once I got that, then Toby Patterson said, uh, Brody Patterson's old man, he, he said, look. You know, I've got a contact at, uh, at Blackburn with Jamie Bikin because I think he's ready. And, and, you know, to hear that from, a, from an outsider, um, we knew Toby quite well. But for him to say that to my old man, it made me feel like, you know what, I'm going to go there and I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back. So um, those four clubs were, were arranged and I went on trial at, um, at Blackburn first. Yeah. So as you said, back then, uh, Toby, uh, shout out Toby Patterson, the great man. But hearing something like that, we, we didn't hear that in Victoria. Are oh, you ready to go to a, a Premier League academy? Um, <laughs> But going over there, you had a really successful stint in the sense that you, I think you had a couple of trial games there and you, you banged a couple of goals in against Man U and, and someone else and they, they signed you up straight yeah. away, didn't they? Well, that was it. We, um, we originally booked, uh, obviously, a return home because that's what you do. You, you don't really know what's going to happen. But So I rocked up to Blackburn um, on trial. and um, So that obviously, Toby Patterson knew Grant Hanley, obviously from Dumfries in Scotland. And... So he's now obviously playing in, in the Premier League and, and played 50 games for Scotland. And he was taking me down to and from the from the academy for, to the digs and um, introduced me to all the lads. And so I had my first game was against Derby County away. So we caught a two-hour bus and um, it didn't start that day, but we were losing 1-0, came on and we ended up winning 3-1 and I scored two. So 
Beautiful. Obviously on the bus home, you think. Obviously on the bus home, you're thinking contracts, contracts ready. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, get back to the get back to the club, and the academy manager pulls me in and goes, "Mate, pretty impressive, but you know that was Derby. We've got Man United this week, um, under 16s. You know, I want to see a bit more." So I said, "Okay." He goes, "We're well, gonna you're gonna play from the start." So I said, "Beautiful. I, I love knowing when I'm when I'm starting and when I'm not." Mm. So prepared, prepared properly. Um, couldn't wait and. Went out there and scored a hat-trick. Um, and my mum was watching and my uncle Ross was watching too. And coming off that pitch, you know, you have that inner gut feeling where you just think, oh, I've done everything I could and I'm so I'm so buzzing. I wasn't even thinking about the contract, but I'm sitting here, a kid from Melbourne, right? I couldn't even get in the AIS, but I'm fucking scoring a hat-trick against Man United's under-16s. And at okay. the time, Man United's, at the time, Man United's first team was, was you know, flooded with, with Rooney, um, Giggs. You, you know, you yeah. could name... Vidic, Ferdinand, these were the boys that were playing 11, 12 years ago. So for me, it was like, I'm playing against their juniors. Um, So I was wrapped and and they pulled me in the office and straight away and sat down with me and my mum and and they said, uh, look, this is a contract. We're going to offer you something, but we know you've got Villa and and Derby and Celtic to come. Um, If you were to walk out this door and, and go and try with them, our offer's off the table. And that was, that was, that was difficult to, to understand because I was like, fucking hell. I was thinking, I love Villa, man. Like, I want to go see Agbon <laughs> Hall. I, yeah. I want to go meet Ashley Young. You know, like, I was like, Fuck. but at that time, I, I called Dad straight away. I said, look, to um, the academy manager in, um, in Phil. And I said, can I please just speak to my dad? Just, just want to hear it from him. And, and my dad said, look, in football, you're never guaranteed anything. But yes. right now, mm-hmm. you've got something guaranteed. So sign it and it was um yeah it was a yts moving into a pro because i was a minor and uh yeah couldn't be prouder and it was uh it was a nice feeling to to join that academy because there was some some top players made at that time and blackburn was sitting sixth or seventh in the premier league at that time with sam allardyce's gaffer so yeah 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 because i remember but it's actually funny when we used to play playstation as a kid i remember i always used to go man you or real madrid and you used to always go villa and i'm thinking What's he doing? <laughs> I'm gonna him. You'd always, you'd always put up a put up a fight. I remember we we went um we played online against the Jagos. Do you remember that at my house? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy and Luke. They're still burning from that loss. Um, but no, the Blackburn at the time they had a really strong academy because they needed to invest in their youth, and that was a, definitely a feeder yeah. club. They had a lot, so many players have come out of the Blackburn academy. Um, yeah. But as you spent a couple couple years there, I wanted to to move on to, I guess, you had a really successful academy stint and played in their youth team and the reserves and were on the cusp of getting some first-team football, but you made the decision to come back to the A-League where you felt yeah. you were going to get a, a bigger and better opportunity, which was with Perth. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't even know. What, what year was that when you came back now? It was 2013? 2013, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... What what was that like? The first, your first taste of senior football, and I guess the the league back then, because I was playing in the A League then, was, and I don't know what it's like now, but the league back then was in pretty good shape from mm. the imports we had in the league. Was, um, you know, second to none. There was players like Fowler, Shingiono, uh, Alessandro Del Piero. Can't remember Liam Miller was like a, a top yeah. player. Marcelo Cruz. There was a lot. Um, yeah. Can you explain to us what your first experience of, of first team football was like in in the A League back then? Yeah, you know what? I got a I got a decent uh, little shock because I, I scored in um, the under twenty World Cup uh, against Turkey and, and we, we got knocked out. And um, at that time, I was a free agent, having left Blackburn. And Alistair Edwards, who you know I credit till this day, was was fantastic for me because he he put a lot of faith into into myself and, and said, "Well, I'm going to give you a three year contract at Perth Glory." And 
I remember going to watch Perth in the old NSL, even flying to Perth, you know, with seeing family friends and obviously the Damien Mori days and all that. And, um, you know, going, going there, it was, it was difficult because, you got old guys like Stephen McGarry, Jacob Burns, who have been around, played SP, uh, in the SPL, sorry, and, and Burns, he played for Leeds. And you got big characters who they expect a lot from you, mate. They, they ain't going to let you allow to have this transitional period from being a kid to, to a man. You, you, have to, you, have to fucking, you have to start throwing your weight around. And, and I felt like that was a turning point for me because it was difficult. I couldn't adjust. Um, it took me four to five months to really adjust to the crowds, the, the, the media side of it, the, just the pressure. And because at the time you didn't really feel pressure, but right now I'm playing in front of, you know, 13,000 people who, if I miss a chance in front of goal, mate, I'm fuck, I'm copping it. Yeah, they and, and that was, that was, and that was new to me. And, you know, it was one, one game stood out to me was, so it was before the game, William Gallas, right? So he's, he, I played with William. At, That's at, right. At, he at was the, there. So, at, there's, a, there's a good photo, there's a good video of him explaining to me just to be calm. So I don't, I feel like he was talking to like Nicholas Anelka or so, the way he was talking to me, but he was just saying, just be calm in front of goal. Don't, don't, don't be stressed. This is all noise. It's all noise. So, and that was kind of one I look back on and go that he was the sort of guy who's done everything in the game and he doesn't, he doesn't feel that. So why should I? I've, I've done nothing in the game. Mm. So, you know, so I kind of, leaned on him a little bit and, and obviously the older guys like Scott Jamison who now is obviously my captain but um, I had a really good bunch of boys around me Thwaiti was a was a established soccerer and um, Lubo Milicevic another guy who played in Europe and Danny Vukovic I, I could name a few that team I had was was unbelievable Perth had a great those, team. those were the guys that I leaned on in, in, in the difficult moments when I was um, trying to adjust to, to being a, a regular and and when I was a regular um, well I wasn't a regular but I was playing off the bench under Kenny but I ended up getting, um, you know, nine or 10 goals in that season as a, as a bench player. And, and that made me stronger. Yeah. I, I remember playing Perth. It was always really tough playing Perth as well. Cause there was always one or two young players and you were one of them that would compliment like a super experienced team. I always feel like Perth have had such an experienced and strong team. Yeah. Everyone's at that point in their career where they know how to win and they know the job they have to do to win. Um, yeah. And, and it's funny. I got a William Gallas story. I remember we played, Perth. I think I was at Adelaide and it was so hot and this vintage in Perth, you'd always end up having those halftime breaks in the half to have a drink, like a drinks break every 20 or 30 break. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember Gallus came on, it was one of his first games at Perth. He played like 20 minutes. He did an interview with Fox Sports after and he couldn't even get words out because it was so hot. Yeah. But I saw him out that night. We went out for a few drinks that night and maybe a few more than a few. Was it? Were you? Did that's you... the night when I picked all you. That's the night when I picked all you Adelaide boys up. You remember you got in the back of my car, <laughs> probably, yeah. Sanchez, it might yeah. have been, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what hour it was, but we saw William Gallus walking down the street past us, and I'm thinking, holy shit, this is William Gallus. Like I played against him just before, but I didn't care. I'm like, he's Arsenal captain, Chelsea legend, you know, yeah. France, France national <laughs> team, and he's eating this massive plain Smith's chips packet. His arm. He's literally his whole arms in the packet getting the crumbs out <laughs> and he's got a magnum. He's opening up the magnum. I'm thinking he's, he's on holiday. He's having a ball, but he was telling us and I won't do his accent, but he pretty much said, he goes, man, I've never seen anything like this before, but I just see two women fighting massive cat fight over there. And then he just kept walking with his magnum. I'm like, dude, what is going on? Um, Bro, he, he, yeah, he was a great guy, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, then um, cause I think that, that really, probably kickstarted your career that opportunity but I think where you probably really felt like 
I can dominate and be the player that I am now and, and take it even further was when you made the move across to the East Coast, to, to Brisbane, which, yeah. um, as, as I stated earlier, you've won a couple of uh, A-League Golden Boots, which, for those that don't know, is the top scorer of the A-League. And you won your first there in, in Brisbane in the 2016, I think, 17 season. Um, yeah. did, was that a real sort of defining moment in your pro career of like, you know, this is where I belong and this is what I can do now? Yeah, spot on, man. And the word belong was ring true because I remember going into training at, um, you know, under Aloisi and every day he would be onto me saying, look, Maka, let's, let's do some extras. Um, and the first conversation we ever had, he, he said to me, tell me what, how many goals you're going to score this year. And I said, I think I said 10, right? And he looked at me and said, 10? No, 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 no. You're going to score more than that. And that was, when, that was what stuck with me is I was, this coach believes more than I do. So I then instilled some beliefs that, you know what, this guy believes me because, because let's be honest, Kenny Lowe didn't believe in me. So I'm not going to sit here and, and sugarcoat anything. John Aloisi believed in me. So I'm thinking, fuck, I've got a gaffer here who, who loves me. He's going to play me. He's, he's handed me the number nine jersey, which for everyone listening, when you get given that jersey, you have to earn that. And that's, and that was something where I have to, I now have fuck pressure where I was at Perth. This is pressure. This yeah. is Bessart Barisha has just left Brisbane with championships and, and 15 or so goals a season consistent every year mate if you flop here you're going to be fucking hounded and, and that was something that drove me i just something inside of me jakey just came out and i was in, instantly um changed by you know my mentality with john and, and working with him day in day out and he tweaked a few things and, and he was able to help me get into moments and, and day before the game he, he gave me free reign he said mate you want 10 minutes or you want half an hour in front of goal go for it That's so huge, that that, that was huge how many, how many years did you have under JA up there? Was it a couple of seasons you two, played at Brisbane? Yeah. Two seasons? Two, se two full seasons, yeah. Two full seasons. And one thing I would credit is the team we had there was, was phenomenal. We came third twice. We're a couple of games short of, of each grand final. But um, I stayed fit for, for two years straight. I ended up playing 53 A-League games. And you know what it's like. A-League game uh, seasons are short enough as it is to play, yeah. you know, full 25 games a season. It was, uh, it was great for me. And... Um, Suncorp Stadium, I loved it, mate. We, had, we used to have some serious crowds and it's not like that now and I, I want it to get back because that stadium for me is, is one of my favourites. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's a stadium like no other. You feel like you're playing in Europe when that's filled. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, the atmosphere and um, There's so much history, as you said, the Brisbane team, they won th the, the three-peat up there with an invincible team. So it's, it's kind of got that, it had that fortress element to it. Oh, it had the aura for sure. Yeah. So after that, after that kind of breakout season, I felt like that was a defining moment for you because you were kind of at the top of the league from a goal scoring perspective and, and you've, you've maintained that, but you decided to, to make the move overseas. Yeah. Um, so where, how did that come about? And um, I guess, what was the journey like whilst living over there in, in, other, in another country playing football at the highest level? You know what? Um, and we probably played with, uh, with Torsten Frings on PlayStation. So he, he called me, I was sitting in, in Crown Casino with Thomas Broish and Thomas passes the phone to me and says, this is Torsten Frings. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, whatever, man. Fuck. He had a few beers. I'm like, piss off. Like this is not Torsten Frings. I, I knew exactly who he was. Right? He's the, he's the German Frank Lampard. Right. And uh, anyways, he, he, he ended up speaking to him and he says, Jamie, you know, I know you're a free agent. Um, we've just been relegated from the Bundesliga, but we're investing so much money. We want to come back up. And I believe you're the sort of player that we could do with. And I was like, sounds, sounds good. I said, look, send through the contract. Here's the agent and whatever. And 
um, Paddy being my agent, and and basically they flew us over straight away, business class, the lot, you, you name it. This was something new to me. I was like, I just obviously played for the Socceroos, so I was kind of like, you know, this this will be a, a good step for me. Mm. Get there, signed the contract, and um, was happy with everything, and uh, basically went to the Confederations Cup with Socceroos, and that was that was quality seeing Sanchez and guys like that in the flesh, and. Um, so I, I went to, to Germany quite late, Jakey, uh, mm. a couple of weeks later pre-season. First, pr- first friendly I get there, right? You know what it's like when you go into a dressing room and the fucking, the board's up of the team. Yeah. So I'm looking, so I'm, uh, he gave me the number nine jersey, mind you. I'm looking at the board, I'm thinking, fuck, where's my name? I'm not, I'm not there. He goes, yeah, you are. I go, where? But I was playing number eight, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm about to go. I'm about, Jakey, I'm about to go out, right? And play That's centre midfield team. for those that don't know. It's in the middle of the park. I'm about to go, right, to play in a position which my gaffer knows full well, because that was what it used to be, in a pre-season friendly against an Austrian team. And my number six, who's going to give me the ball all day, is Hamid Altintop, who's played for Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. Mate, he kept getting the ball and he, he kept looking for me, but I, I was making forward runs. I was fucking... And then at half time he, he said to me, he goes, Jamie, what's wrong? You haven't... You barely touched the ball. I said, coach, I'm a fucking striker. I don't... I'm lost. I'm literally lost out there. I don't know. And he's like, no, no, I thought, I thought we, can, we can get you to play there. I said, mate, well, preseason's nearly over and the season's, you know, around the corner. I'm a striker, whether you like it or not. Um, I, I don't know who, what videos you've been watching, but I ain't a fucking number eight. Oh, no chance. So that was, that was difficult, man. And, and on top of that, think of the language barrier and, you know, in a different country, I was away from Eva. She was, she was still in Australia sorting some, some loose ends and, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Germany. It was a fantastic, we live in Frankfurt. It was um, fantastic, but the football side of it, the boys were top notch in terms of quality on the pitch. Like, Jakey, the ball was zipping fucking phenomenally, you know. And yeah. um, Kevin, Kevin Groskowitz, who, who won the World Cup with Germany, he was in our team as well. So some big names, right? And, and I'm just thinking, I wish I could play in my position with these guys because I know I would do some damage. But we went 10 games straight. I, I kept playing as, as this number eight. Um, seven games went by. I think I had one shot because I was so fucking far away from the goal that it was unbelievable. And, and Torsten got sacked, mate. And, and it was unfortunate because I... I, I I love the guy, but as as a as a coach, I just felt like he was just frazzled. Like yeah. he, he didn't know how to make certain decisions. And you know, if there's a game where one nil down in, in the 80th minute. I'm I'm a striker. Just say, Jamie, can you just push up forward and, and play two up front? But we didn't do that, and, and yeah. that's that ultimately cost him his job. And and he's the coach now of FSV Meppen, which is a third division team in Germany. But he's, he's the way he is. He could his trajectory could have been a lot different, mate. And, and yeah. the team we had. Could, could have got promoted and once once I knew after seven games playing number eight Jakey and it wasn't me it was it was time to to knock on the door on January transfer window because you know the World Cup was six months away and I wanted nothing more that's crazy I felt like I could have probably given Torsten a call and told him mate don't put him at number eight you'll you'll be wasting your time get him up get him up front but it's you're, quite you're, funny you're fucking, your average your average troll could fucking tell Torsten <laughs> yeah, I know mate it's, it's they can, they can, people people complain enough I don't touch the ball fucking during the game but they're not saying anything when I'm scoring in the 90th minute exactly either. exactly right that's the way you like it as well um but it's it's funny how good players great players don't always make great coaches and that's potentially not saying he is, but just, there's, you know, that's an example that's definitely common in football. Um, so after that period, because that was probably not, not a disappointing spot, I would say that was a real learning curve for you. Experience was, yeah. I, I, you know yeah. I, I, sorry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually call it disappointing. I would actually yeah. call it um, 
just just an experience. Like I was able to learn a bit of German. I was able to live in Germany, play in a fantastic league. You know, twenty five thousand fans every week. You know, it was it was unreal. Um, I was able to work under a guy who's been in the World Cup final. Like it's these are the things that you play with guys you played in Real Madrid with Zidane and, and Ronaldo. And got, this is things that you can't. Um, you know, buy with money. So for me, it was, I'm not going to sit here and regret moving to Germany. No chance. It was just happened to be that the coach wanted to play me in a different position. So I had to swallow it and, and, and move on. So I look back and, I, and I, I enjoyed it as much as it was difficult. No, no doubt it would have been a growth experience. And even players or coaches that have played with top players or in top um, tournaments like the World Cup or the Champions League, usually when they speak, regardless of what they say, you, you're going to listen because they've been oh, there and done it. And, and he probably had that effect as well. Um, but after, so after that period, you went, you went back home. I'm not sure if you went on loan or you, you, you got sold to Hibs, um, but you went to the, uh, the beautiful city of Edinburgh, which I'm sure you, your old man was proud of, and, and back to Scotland and played for Hibernian. Yeah. Um, which, you know, for, for those that know Jamie's story, know that he had an electric period, um, you know, in the green and white. So can you explain for us going back home to Scotland, the native land for your old man? Yeah, so it was uh, it was actually an interesting period because so in Germany you have a winter break, so for that winter break, me and Eva thought, you know what, fucking, it was twelve pound to fly from Frankfurt to Edinburgh. So we said, you know what, let's let's go to Edinburgh. We love the city. We've got family there, and um, so we went there, right? So we landed in Edinburgh. had had some um, family pick us up, and and after two days, I get a phone call saying um, Craig Levine would like to meet you, the Hearts manager. So I'm thinking. Okay, so I knew Hearts and Hibs were interested before I signed in Germany. So that free agency period, I had quite a bit of interest from Scottish clubs and, and some British clubs, which was which was nice. But um, so anyways, they, they've found out that you're available because the German media is saying that you want to go on loan. So I end up having a coffee with, with Craig Levine in his office and he's sitting there showing me fucking projector of all my goals in, in Brisbane and saying, this is what I need. You know, I want big and small. I want you and Cole Lafferty. It's, uh, it's something that we could really do. And, um, you know, can we fit you in the budget and, and all that sort of stuff? And, you know, he was, he was really thorough and he knew, he knew his stuff. He was, he was a gentleman, honestly, a proper gentleman. So we left that training ground, Hearts training ground, and went back home and, uh, to my family's house. And the next morning, we were going to the, the Edinburgh Castle. Anyways, I fucking pick up the, the daily Scottish, Scottish Sun. And on, one of the pages says, um, Hearts are going to sign me. And I'm thinking, it's the first I've heard of this. So, word, honestly, mate, I found out that in Scotland, mate, there is snakes everywhere. There's fucking mm. the media travel. If someone, you know, has a coffee, that they'll they'll fucking write about someone had a coffee. So, for me, it was like it was a, a nice feeling, and I was like, this is the first time I got my granddad calling me. Fucking, he's a mad jambo. He's going, Jamie, you fucking, you better sign for them because they're the fucking best team. And and I'm thinking, mate. It's, <laughs> it's, there's not, there's nothing, there's nothing on paper, Granddad. What are you talking about? Like I'm, I'm going back to Germany tomorrow. I'm only here for three days. Like relax. So we went back to Germany and um, we went to me and Eva went to Rome. That's where where we got engaged. And um, so when I was in Rome, there was some conversations with my agent. And because that media um, had uh, got that out, Hibs now came on board, and Hibs needed a striker. So then I went and met with uh, with the Hibs officials, and and basically they said. Uh, you know, we want someone to play up front with Anthony Stokes. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so I've got Kyle Lafferty, I've got Anthony Stokes. These two are unbelievable Scottish. Well, they're both obviously Irish in, in their own right, but they've both done the business in Scotland and um, how good to play with, with these quality players. So 
Um, the decision was to go to Hibs. Purely, it just felt right, Jakey. There was, they were both on the table and it honestly just felt right to go to Hibs. Um, and, you know, I met up with, with Lennon and um, the boys in Portugal on, on, a, on a sort of mid-pre-season trip. And um, from then onwards, mate, it was, it was a great time. And, and like I said, there's some, some fantastic boys and I could, I could rattle on what we did that year. And it was, oh, what a time, mate, what a time. Yeah, it's um, people don't know that the the football in Scotland is so big. I mean, it's it's like the Premier League in England. It's so televised and it's so scrutinised. Um, and the rivalry between Hibs and Hearts in the city of Edinburgh is, you know, it's not something you want to get cut in between. Um, well, mate, put it this way. I'll give you an example, right? So me and Eva, we went to went to a pub in in George Street and right in the heart of town. So I've gone to the I've gone to the bartender. Excuse me, can I can I get a, a glass of red and, and a Peroni? He turns around and goes, "Mate, go fuck yourself." And turned around, right? His his other bartender turns around and goes, "Mate, don't worry about him. He's he's a mad Hearts fan. Don't take it personally." I said, "How the fuck am I going to take that personally?" Anyways, the other guy ends up sorting me out. But this this guy that just shows you from a guy who's actually getting paid to do his job wouldn't even fucking serve me, let alone the guy who's walking down the street. So. It was uh, passionate, as and I loved it. I, I, I loved it, mate. Even going to Rangers, I've got videos of, you know, the Rangers fans launching some some coins and bottles at me when I scored at Ibrox. It was that's the that's the shit that I miss, and that's the shit that I love. Yeah, that would really rile you up. I'd say you you're the type that that would make you want to play more. That's not going to send you the other way. That's going to excite you um, oh. <laughs> even even further. I've actually got a bit of a hip story. I went on trial there probably a year before. Um, maybe you went. And I had, the, had a really bad experience. I ended up doing my knee um, there. But I think Alan Stubbs was the coach. But I've got a funny oh, yeah. story. I don't know. Did you play with Scotty Allen? Was he at Hibs or had he left by then? Did I ever? Did I ever? Me and him scored on it. We scored in an Edinburgh Derby night one night. We won 2 0. And mate, what a player. What oh, a player. Top player, right? This, there was a guy, Scotty Allen, when I was at Hibs. And there was a, 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 when I was on trial there on the back paper, it was like, Scotty Allen, the next Scott Brown, or like the future of Scottish football, and all this pressure that Celtics after him, Rangers after him, and I'm thinking, like, who is this guy? That's going to trial to his club. Went there, and he was just one of those players that he kind of came across like he didn't really give a shit, but yeah. on the day and when the moment would happen, he just had magic about him. <laughs> and I remember my uh, he kept calling me Skippy the Kangaroo, but I remember I walked walked into the change room, and this steam was just coming into the change room. I couldn't see him. Like, What's going on here? And I walk into like, the, there's like a bath and shower area. Yeah. And I just see Scotty Allen sitting in the hottest bath, which is surely yeah. not recommended by sports scientists. The hottest bath, just smoking a vape. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, it's just covered in smoke. He's going, all right, Aussie. <laughs> and I'm thinking, geez, this is the future what's of Scottish football. But that sums him up from Yeah. What a guy. What a guy. Honestly, mate, he's, he was a player that gave me a lot of goals in, in that period. And, um, like you said, he, he was just, he had that, that aura about him where he just had that swagger. You just fucking give him the ball in the pocket, he'll turn and he'll create something. And it's sort of, you know, it's one of those ones where I always imagine what would he be like in the A-League? Would he, would he, because I think he would light it up. You know, people would be thinking, ah, oh, he's, he's, he's playing at Hibs. But I think fucking if Martin Boyle came to the A-League, he would light it up as well. Yeah, so people, people's perception of the Scottish League needs to change because the, that league, the top five teams are phenomenal, mate. Uh, uh, without a doubt, that they would win the A League, or they would come close. Yeah. So, people want to say, "Oh, what's how do you compare it?" Well, you can't compare it because of winter and um, all that sort of stuff. But the team that I had 
at that time that we, we went unbeaten, we beat Celtic, we beat Rangers twice. That team would, would win this A-League, if I was to be honest, yeah. that starting level. So, That's a good you know, and you got boy, it comes down to hunger too, Jake. You know what it's like. They, they, they fucking hate losing, mate. Yeah. You know, and, and almost after games, you, if you draw away at Aberdeen, you, you have to apologise to your away fans. Now, I, I was like, it was new to me because I was thinking in the A-League, fucking, you'd be taking a selfie with, your, with the <laughs> <Yeah>. other guy. <laughs> yeah. But in, in, in Scotland, if I, if I thought about taking a selfie with a Hibs fan uh, after getting a draw away at Aberdeen, mate, the guy would fucking want to punch me out. So yes. it, was, uh, it was different, but it was also at the same time as these guys. And this is another thing I wanted to touch on is these guys live for the weekend. Like, the fuck Monday to Friday. They don't care about that. If they're working in, as a, in a factory or if they're, they have a banter with their mates during the week saying, oh, fucking Hibs are going to beat Haas this week. They live for that Saturday afternoon. If you can't get in the stadium, you're the unhappiest man in that city. And that's what Australia doesn't have at the moment is if there's a Melbourne derby, 30,000-seat stadium, there's probably 22,000 there. But there's still 8,000 people that can get in. Where in Scotland, mate, there's 30,000 full and there's about 5,000 sitting at the front waiting to fucking <laughs> celebrate. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I miss about rocking up to a stadium on game day, you got fans banging the bus. Like that doesn't happen here. That, yeah. And that's, it's hard to, to breed that, that culture. But if only Australia had it, it would honestly made it, it would change football in this country forever. And the way people see it, because another thing I'll touch on it, and I'm probably just rambling now, but so I went to school, right. In Sunbury and, and all you people know that if you look up in Google, Sunbury's fucking far away from Melbourne. Right? <laughs> so I went to school with these Aussies, right. They, me and my brother, we, we were classed as Wogball. Right? They would call us Wog Boys. Right? Mum's half Maltese. So we'd have a ball under our arm and um, we'd go to school and these guys would laugh at us saying, oh, no one plays soccer. It's a shit sport. Play AFL and, and whatnot. And um, I log onto my Facebook when I'm at the World Cup with the Socceroos about two years ago. The same guy that was taking the piss out of me was fucking wearing a McLaren jersey sitting in Russia <laughs> at, at the World Cup. So I'm thinking, you cheeky fucker, mate. You were taking the piss out of me for fucking... <laughs> For 10 years, but now you're sitting in Russia, you're supporting Australian Socceroos. How does that make sense? Yeah. Like that just shows that you can't. there is people out there who can get involved. It's just we're a bit lazy in this country and, and too many things have been given. Every, you can watch every game in the A-League on TV. So why would, why would people leave if they've got a barbecue? And, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where don't put it on TV. I know you need the TV revenue, but if you only had one game, then you'll get fans that just want to go to the stadium. And, yeah. and that's something that I would love to change because you can't watch every Premier League game on TV. Um, yeah, you have to go to the ground. You have to go to the ground or watch exactly. it at the pub. Yeah, the, and it's not. It's right. It's not televised everywhere. And there was a thing on that this year that everyone's like, "Oh, every Premier League game's televised in round one." It's like, shouldn't it always be? But that's not yeah. the case. Um, yeah. Was it was it a hard decision for you? Because um, I know there was a, a period where you were representing Scotland at the national level and you're getting calls from the young Socceroos and the Socceroos to be like, Jamie, come back home. Was, yep. was that a hard decision at the senior level to decide who you wanted to play for? Um, so basically, it was nice to represent Scotland. Uh, it was a proud moment for me, but I think it was, it was more prouder for, for my old man. You know, someone that's come from Sunbury, you know, Victoria to, to then go into play for Scotland. I actually got called up when I was at the Blackburn Academy to, to Scotland under 19s, played two games against Norway and Denmark. And, and that was pretty cool. But mate, I had no fucking idea what the lyrics were for the flower of Scotland. And it just didn't feel right. And, and for me, it was, I got a phone call. I remember I was sitting in, in my digs in, in, uh, in Blackburn and, and it was uh, Jan Verslane called me in Han Berger and, 
and they were saying, look, Jamie, uh, I know you've represented Scotland last week, but you need to play for Australia. If you don't pick us now, then we won't pick you in the coming camps. So I thought it was fucking cheeky. I was like, mate, you guys fucking, one, you binned me for AIS, but now you, fucking, now you guys are fucking saying to me, you need to choose Australia. I, I, I was pissed off, right? So, but then I, I remember going to the, the, the training the next day and speaking to Vincent Brett and saying boys like because they were taking piss out of me they were saying mate you're fuck, why are you picking scotland like they'll never go to a world cup yeah, yeah and yeah. they were right you know and it was like and they kind of talked me into you know mate it's you'll be so proud putting on the green golden and it took me back because it was a dream of mine jakey when i was in my backyard shooting goals i always thought fuck, i want to wear i want to play for australia yeah so called them back and said look guys um it was a hard conversation to call billy stark at scotland to say look billy it's I appreciate everything, but I've got to, I've got to move on and I've got to play for my country of birth. And um, I want to, I want to thank you so much because it was, it was massive. And mm. um, yeah, to say, uh, to say goodbye to, to Scotland and, and choose Australia was, was a good thing. But then, so the soccer route, the conversation comes about and Malta, right? So I've, I've, I'm on 15 goals in the A-League and John Aloisi pulls me and goes, uh, Jamie, we've had an email at the club. Malta want to call you up for a game against fucking against Germany and Lithuania. And I was thinking, is it, are you bantering? Because he used to work with um, Michael Mifsud, so I thought he was bantering me, right? And I, thought, I said, yeah, whatever, Johnny. He goes, Jamie, I'm being deadly serious. Malta, want to call you up. What do you want to do? And uh, so I, had, I laughed. I was like, well, I want to play for Australia, clearly. And uh, so he just said, look, we'll, we'll say no to, to Malta because I'll let you in on a little secret, Jamie. You know, Ange, if you keep going the way you're going, Ange is going to pick you. Now, we all know, me and you know the story about the 14-year-old Jamie McLaren and Ange Postacoglu when I was fucking... Oh, never in, forget you know, it. You know, so it was kind of like, I was like, fuck, Ange, Ange probably hates me. He probably he hates was, my guts. He, he was gunning for you one day, wasn't he? He, he thinks, he probably thinks I'm a smart ass, I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, I, I don't know if he does to this day, but, you know, I have to be very grateful for the opportunity he gave me to, to represent my country against England and, <laughs> you know... To, to have obviously Smalling's jersey here in this room. And um, Wayne, I was right in line behind Wayne Rooney when he took a touch and buried it in the top corner past Matty Ryan. So even standing there, that, that gave me goosebumps. And that was like, this is, this is proper football. You, you know, this is, it doesn't get higher than this. And to have that debut is something that I'll always be eternally grateful to Ange with. And, you know, it does, you always kind of think, does he think the same way? You don't know. But it was uh, definitely an interesting story that's not for this podcast. But um, <laughs> if, someone, if someone wants to ask me privately, then I, I, might, I might open up. But oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to ask you over our next dinner. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's crazy, right? Because we talk about this earlier in your career where you're struggling, not struggling, but you didn't make a state team. You missed out on the AIS. Your dad's lighten up the backyard trying to make you a soccer field and put some soccer goals in and we fast track yeah. 15 years and you're wearing the number nine shirt playing for the Socceroos which was all our dreams as kids I mean being like Mark Paducah Harry Kuehl in that era everyone yeah. in our generation wanted to be him and it's, it's humbling for me as, as your mate and somebody who played with you to see you there now because I'm like holy shit so one, of the, one of the boys made it and um, I guess now you've, you've had quite a few caps for the Socceroos and, you, and you're starting to bang in some goals. But is there, a, is there a particular moment in your international career that stands out as something you'll be forever proud of? Um, yeah, I think uh, obviously getting selected for the Socceroos and my story is quite unique in the sense that I was fucking binned. I was dead. And, I, I, it was like The Undertaker, mate. I, I didn't get selected. <laughs> I, then, I then went and scored a hat-trick against the Rangers. 
And then I got a phone call when I was in Dubai sitting on a beach saying, mate, you've got to come to Turkey because Bert Van Marwijk, he, he, wants to, he wants to have a look at you. Mind you, I've probably put on fucking five kilos. I've had yeah. 20 bottles of red wine. Like it, this was, I was not in the best shape, but I said, you know what? This is, this is a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity. So I flew from Dubai to Turkey and he said, he spoke to me and he just said one word. He said one sentence and he was like, you know, Jamie, uh, you have one week, you have to impress me. And that was a simple, Mark Van Bommel was stood next to him and that was, that's all they said. And I had a week to impress him and maybe, maybe I showed him something different that the Socceroos didn't have at the time, but he, he, he selected me and um, that's something that, uh, that stands out. But and Another this was thing, for the World the World Cup was that for the this was for the this was for the Russia 2018 World Cup right and wow um, I, I remember I remember being in tears in Lenny's office and he, he even he was scratching his head he was like what the, what the fuck like you know and knowing knowing Neil how he is he was thinking no nah, that can't be you, you need to prove them wrong and he was always like he was always like that he was saying no nah, fuck that you know what when Rangers comes around when we play Rangers on Sunday we're going to make sure you're going to make sure that you fucking, you're going to get to a world cup. Forget about what's, what's written in paper. It's never, it's never true. So he kind of drove me to, to a new level for that Sunday. But um, if there's another moment that sticks out, Jake is, is my hat trick for, for the Socceroos. And, you know, I'm going to say it's against Nepal, which I'm just going to act like it was against fucking Brazil. But at the end of the day, mate, it's a hat trick. It's a hat trick. You know, as a striker, you take pride in goals and not many people have scored a hat. A lot of people have scored for their country, but are not, a lot many people haven't scored a hat trick for their country, and that's something Agreed. that uh, you know I, I can I can take pride in. And you know, the most recent hat tricks for the Socceroos was obviously um, Miller Yedinak and, and Timmy, and those are the guys that uh, you know have have passed on a legacy to us boys. And it's a nice feeling to to have done that with a hat trick, and that match ball is uh, is tucked away nicely. Was that the perfect hat trick? Was that a left right head from memory? Correct. It was. Yeah, Correct. that that doesn't go astray. And as that story will go, and Nepal will turn into. Nigeria into Argentina and Brazil, <laughs> I'm sure. Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi played that night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Canberra Stadium. Nepalese Messi. Yeah. No, but anyone that knows you, and, and I know you well, and this is kind of just, you know, coming to the end of, of, I guess, a big part of this podcast, because like you, Jamie, I grew up playing football and football was my life. And it was something that, you know, circumstances didn't go my way. And within myself, it's, it's kind of taken me away from the game. And I've learned pretty quickly that um, there's a whole other side to life outside of football that I never thought I would realise this quickly. Um, yeah. But but knowing you and, and anyone that does know you and probably listen to this podcast is you're a very driven, uh, very driven and focused guy um, who's very determined and and always kind of whatever goal you set in front of you, you're going to go after and go after as hard as you can. But I, I just wonder, do you do you have a way to separate yourself from the game when you're sitting on the couch at home with your partner and your family? Are you good at that? Or is that something you... Nah. Look, if I'm honest, mate, it's... I think the more pressure that's on me, the the least present I'm available. And it's probably the harshest on my misses because if I come home from a game where I've missed a chance, mate, fucking stay away from me. Stay away from me. Because I swear to God, if she says to me, oh, is, is your cup of tea warm enough? And I would just fucking lose my shit. And, and it's one of those ones where it's unfair, but I'm starting to learn you know, to, to deal with those sort of things and using different techniques. But um, I'm a winner and, and I hate, not hate losing, but I hate lowering my standards individually because I'd, I'd hate nothing more than, you know, if we lost, you know, one nil on the weekend and I missed a penalty or I missed a chance, I would automatically think, ah, oh, fuck, my teammates are looking at me that I was the one that didn't get it back in the game. And I always like to be the guy who's in the moment and I'm able to step up. So 
I'm starting to, to improve that and, and starting to, to understand that it's okay to miss, but when the next one comes, you just go again. And it's, it's, it's almost having that sort of tennis mentality where you don't have time to fucking to worry about that one. You got to, there's another one coming in, in five seconds time. And, and that was something that I've been trained into me recently through, you know, Mike Conway at the Socceroos and, and other guys who have, have worked with me. So yeah, it, it is difficult to switch off, mate. But during the week, I can more switch off than, than the weekend, that's for sure. But I'm, I'm definitely um, fully focused when it comes around to game day, for sure, man. Yeah, that's that's the way you've been built. I think that's the way you'll always be built. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Jamie. Uh, one of my oldest friends still to this day, one of my closest friends. And I'm, I'm proud to, to see what you're doing. And I can only think you're, you're scraping the surface of where you're going to go, mate. So looking forward to next year for Melbourne City and the Socceroos. Um, and yeah, appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you, Jackie boy. It's uh, it's a long time coming, mate. And like I said, once this uh, this lockdown's over, mate, we'll have a nice steak and glass of wine and um, reminisce old times, mate. And we, we might bring up that Ange Postecoglou story. You never know. <laughs> yeah, no, I might. If your old man's there, I might bring up the Altona Magic first Green Gully game, uh, which we didn't get into in this, but uh, it's something you're. The Man United, the Man United Cup, the Man United yeah. Cup. We're not talking about that one, mate. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> no, thanks, brother. We appreciate it, man. It was awesome having you on. Nah, too easy, bro. Love you, bro. Thanks, brother. Awesome. Ciao. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning OzCast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free. And you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. OzCast. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details.